Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the Motivated Lawn Care Show. Uh, today, I have uh, have a special guest for you guys. As you guys know, I've been trying to get on as many guys who are running million dollar companies as possible. Gives me a little bit of advice and perspective. And I know that's what you guys have been asking for the most um, for interviews. And uh, we've run out of some of the big names. We've, we've, ha we've had them all on. And so um, I literally went on like a Facebook group that I'm in, uh, the Mike Andy's Facebook group. And I was like, hey, is there anyone in here running a million dollar company who would be willing to come on for 30, 45 minutes and just share with my listeners like their journey? Um, and obviously, I, I, you know, I get all that good stuff. I get to be the one who asks the questions, which is a good deal. So um, I threw it out there and and Mike picked it up and he was like, hey, would love to be on. And, you know, I gave him some details. And, and here we are today. You're going to have to you have to help me out with the last name. But uh, Mike, <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I usually give people points if they try. So give it your best shot. Okay. Uh, Kern Kovic. Kovic? Kovic. Yeah, Kovic. So you added an H at the end, which is a super common thing people do. Okay. Uh, but Cernkovic, that's what I say. For I wrestled in high school and uh, they started calling me Chernovic for some reason. And huh. I wasn't like going to go correct them because I was like a 103 pound freshman. Yeah. And then that that got shortened down to Cherno. I'm like, guys, this isn't even close to my name, but shit, I'm just glad you're calling me something. Yeah. So uh, as long as people give it an attempt, I'm good with it. Okay, there you go. Hey, same with my last name. Mine's a, mine's a doozy as well. Yeah, definitely. At least you have some vowels. I, I do have some vowels. I do, I do. So as we jump in here, kind of give the, the guys listening, and we spoke a little bit before, uh, before the show that they're hearing now, so I have a little bit more um information to kind of tie the story together but kind of give me the the walkthrough of i know you started in in college um and then you just saw that it was taking a really good direction and you know the jobs jobs weren't just just weren't panning out for you it wasn't it wasn't for you and you just you just took it all the way and now you guys are doing over a million dollars this year in uh in sales so what's the what's the story how did you get into it how did you get the business to where it is today yeah definitely i gave you the abridged version i'll be a little more lengthy now um, I, uh, was working a couple jobs. My, I think it was my sophomore year of college. Mm. Um, I think it was freshman into sophomore year of college. So I'm like 18, 19, somewhere that age range. Yeah. And I saw a couple of guys outside the office I was working at that were mowing the lawn and I knew them. I went to high school with them. And then, uh, I was chatting with them for a minute. They said they're making pretty good money. And then one day I was like taking the trash out or doing something. And I saw their boss sitting in his like 2001 or like 1994 big green GMC eating like a tub of cheese puffs, like, like a, like a, you know, like how, what whey protein powder comes in, yeah. like, like a whole like gallon okay. like of that, just one arm eating them, then like barking orders out the, the, the door. And that's probably like my dramatized version, but like, that's how I saw it. Yeah. I'm like, dude, this guy's just chilling. Like, I didn't realize there was those sorts of margins in landscape. Yeah, I grew up, I'm 28. So like a big part of my childhood was the recession. My parents hired some guys at one point. We had a really big house, really big land. And we're charging like 40 bucks to mow like two acres. So like in my head, there was like, there was just no money in that. Yeah. But yeah. once I saw this like mob boss, job of the hut kind of dude yeah. giving out orders, I was like, damn, that's something I could do. Yeah. Um, so I quit one of the two jobs I had. I bought uh, a Toro time cutter. It was 42 inches, got it at Home Depot, put it on the Home Depot credit card and saved a hundred bucks. Um, and then just went door knocking and flyers and newspaper ads and like just did all the wrong stuff. 
Um, ended up with maybe 20 clients my first year. So, you know, not supporting an income or anything, but I already had a truck. So I'd have to go out and buy that. It was my, my first vehicle was a truck. Um, so I had kind of all the basic equipment in my first year and then started to get a little more professional over that winter, learned some things, got into marketing, started with service autopilot and the whole Jonathan Batoshnik yeah. scene. And I just binged watch the lawn care millionaire channels for hours and hours on end. Um, and by the time I finished college, 2018, you're probably doing four to 500, somewhere in that range. Mm. Um, I went to school for finance and economics. So I got a job in that space, um, worked there for three months and just absolutely hated it. Mm. It was uh, soul crushing, soul sucking, terrible. I had a wired mouse and we're looking at it one time thinking like I could wrap this around my neck just to like give me a little bit of dopamine for a minute. Um, I, I didn't, I've never smoked cigarettes, but I was going outside with the people who smoked mm-hmm. just to do something as opposed to sit at my desk. So I quit that and I felt like I had to have some sort of job, but I realized I couldn't like work in that analytical inside sort of job anymore. Mm-hmm. So I got a job in B2B sales. I started that at the start of 2019. Business is still going. It's, you know, over the winter, it was still working. We launched in the new year. I hired someone to do my estimates for all my landscape crews. And meanwhile, we'd already kind of built out all the inside sales stuff. So like mowing estimates, cleanups, all those can be done internally, but we couldn't do internally. We had to send someone out in the field for was like the landscape quote, the mulch installation, the stone, that kind of stuff. Um, and that went pretty well until he didn't, he like drunk drove a vehicle and stopped going to appointments. Um, so ended up letting him go maybe midway through the season and, uh, worked at that job a few more months and realized like, Hey, this is a pretty cool job that I had. It was B2B sales. It was super hands-off. Um, in the whole time I worked there, I probably went to like our, our corporate office four times, except for my, my orientation week. So it was as decentralized as hands-off it could be. But my boss called me one time and was like, Mike, it was a salary position, but I was still in training. So they had me clocking in and out. Yeah. I was like, yo, Mike, you've got to clock in and out correctly, dude. I'm taking a half hour, you know, every payroll day to to fix your hours. At that point, I was like, oh, man, this isn't for me. Like there was just something about getting reprimanded for clocking in and out of my time. I'm like, no. So I quit that and this is end of 2019. And then what happens in 2020? We have the old COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like March of 20, right? Our season here in the Midwest is about to launch Mm -hmm. and everything shuts down. I'm like, oh shit, did I make a huge mistake? I walked away from not a great salary, but a pretty nice salary plus commission at a big well-known company with all the cool benefits to like what? The pandemic? But fortunately, 2019 or 2020 was great for us. We grew like 30 or 40% that year. A lot of people, I think everyone in the green space had a lot of the same stuff. People were pushed home. So things that were not huge issues a year or two ago became, you know, top concern. Working from home, you see out the window, you see that bush you don't like, or you see the space in your backyard, you want to put a new deck in. So that was a really great year for us. Um, and since then, we've grown really steady. It's my full-time thing ever since. Put myself on a salary finally. Uh, we grew from, we were probably doing 600,000 that year to about a million this year over the past two years. So we've consistently added two to 300,000 a year for the past two or three years. Wow. Um, today we have three mowing crews, a commercial maintenance. So they do 
end-to-end maintenance, mowing, shrub trimming, fall cleanup, that kind of stuff. Uh, one fertilization crew, which is really the our pride and joy right now, is so we're really trying to grow what all the marketing money is being focused towards, all the hiring talent, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one landscape crew that mainly does shrub trimming, mulch install. We're not really into hardscape at all. Mm-hmm. But you can call it softscaping. Um, and then we have two snow crews over the winter. Gotcha. That's kind of the uh, the high level summary of where we've been and where we're at. No, wow, that's uh, that's quite the uh, quite the journey there. So a couple things along the way too, and I think it's it's so funny that you're just like clocking in, clocking out wrong. You have a problem with that? I'm out of here. Perfect timing <laughs> yeah. too, as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who would have known with COVID? It was crazy too because then people had stimulus checks and people were home yep. and that kind of stuff. But who would have known going into that spring like that that was going to be the year for like so much growth? And I know it's multiple guys who were just like, "Yep, yeah, that was our year." Like mm-hmm. we haven't been able to match that growth since. Um, mm-hmm. And then they grew, and then they're still there. So they, you know, they were able to to retain that growth. So along that that journey from um, growing from even even in the past couple of years growing 200 to $300,000 per year. Did that look like, were you adding another vehicle on or was that like just one crew was doing more money in general? Like, how did uh, that- Yes to both. It's actually really interesting. Um, I I went to school for finance. I was never like a, a, a smart kid, but once college came around and I had to like pay for tuition and then I realized I could study money, I got really good at math. Um, so one thing that's happened as we've grown is yes, we've added additional crews, right? Um, I always say to guys to grow the business, we have to grow the business. That means each person has to do a little bit more. We have to hire more people. But in addition to adding additional crews, we've increased not only what each crew can do, but what each person can do. We've gone from um, two-man mokers pretty much across the board to solo mokers across the board. Okay. So we went, what we're really focused on the past year is maximizing kind of revenue per person uh, for the year. It's a full-time equivalent FTE. Um, so dollars per full-time equivalent employee. So it in some years, it looks like adding new trucks. And in other years, it looks like just making the people we have better. Okay, gotcha. And what does that look like? Does that look like, I know you said that, taking it from two-man crews to one-man crews and having them go out and do their separate thing. Is that yeah. like more training? Like, give me some specifics there. What does it look like? to increase because that's something that we're struggling with too is like how do you justify paying these guys this much for you know a relatively low margin service um yeah how do you how do you guys go about doing that i think the simplest way is just ask people to do more um and that might mean turning everyone you have like we all of our all of our mo team all of our residential mo team has turned this entire year so the people that grew you from a to b aren't the people that are growing from b to c Mm. um my op- I'm fortunate I've had the same operations manager. Um, I hired him in like year two, just as a guy. I had a girl in my class. I was like, hey, do you know who needs a job? And she was like, yeah. And then we connected and you know, he's grown right along with me. So I've had that kind of uh, foundation the whole time, the same person. So continuity of, of leadership there. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the field people like, you know, last year I was doing this and now you want me to do this. You know, they're just not going to work. Or the culture you had a year ago is now different than the culture you have this year. So mm-hmm. they just don't fit. Yeah. Um, another thing that helps a lot is I know uh, it's talked about a lot now the performance based pay. Mm-hmm. There's a number of ways to skin that cat, but I think that's I think that can be an effective tool. Um, we've had mixed results with it. We don't use it across our entire team, but we use it across the residential guys. 
And I think for that service, it's the best way you can pay those guys. Okay. Um, I've had people hit 30 and, and, and more because of that. Okay. Sorry, I was getting a call. So that the voicemail. Um, and then, it, yeah, additionally, I think just to circle back to my original point, just being transparent with guys like, hey, we need you to do more. We can't grow the business without growing the business. If yeah. you want the cool trunk, the benefits, the uniform, the local prestige, the nice equipment, that means you're going to have to actually do more, right? We have to bill our clients more. We have to, you know, we have to actually do more to do more. Okay. And so you explain that to them and the doing more is like, Hey, I want you to take on the responsibility of cleaning up after yourself at the end of the day so that some, we don't have to hire another person to do that. Does that look like, Hey, I'm going to add a couple of ones to your route and I need you to pick up the pace on them. Like, what is that? Like, what is the tangible there for those guys too? What does that look like to add more to their plate? Yeah, all the above, all the above. At one point, we actually had like a shop tech. So a guy that would come in, change blades, take out the trash, sweep the floor, that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I thought this was useful in that it would allow the Mo guys to just focus more on the Mo stuff. Mm -hmm. But you hire that person and maybe there's only 10 hours of work a week. That always is going to balloon up. That 10 hours is going to become 20. Where we found we ask our Mo guys to do that kind of stuff. Or we assign a person to take care of the shop each week, one to take the trash out, one to sweep the floors, one to organize. They take a little bit more ownership of that space. And that task gets done. Instead of all that taking 10 hours of payroll, might take five hours of payroll right. because they're tired. They want to go home. And then it's given us some ownership over the shop space, over their equipment. We have our guys fill out uh, weekly inspections on their equipment, change all their own blades, um, all that kind of basic, easy to do stuff, check their fluid levels in their truck and their equipment. I think that really has like a nice ownership and a nice leadership benefit is every single person is capable of looking over their stuff, of knowing what their equipment needs. Because ultimately that's the person whose success depends on that piece of equipment, right? Right. Yeah. The shop tech doesn't have a good or a bad day if a mower blows up. That technician sure as hell does. If, if he runs out of oil and his mower seizes up, that, that really impacts his day negatively. Mm hmm so I think putting that back onto the person who's really the share the the risk holder of that makes the most sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I and we do a lot of that stuff, but I can see definitely some areas that we can improve. That. Um, I know you said that you're you got into like math and the number side of things, and this is something that I've been consistently seeing, and something that I see myself as having to improve on, especially how you said like. Um, that you're you're binge watching like the long hair millionaire and that kind of thing. And I've just seen that as a common theme, to be honest with you. I don't mm -hmm. think I've met a single guy who built a company that was like solidly into seven figures or eight figures who was not obsessed with like the long hair millionaire and watching those videos and <laughs> implementing those systems. I don't know. I don't know if I've met a single one. And I've met quite a few guys. Yeah. Yeah. One who that wasn't like a focal point for them to pivot and build something that's unique and not just like a, a nightmare, you know, mm -hmm. for them in a business side of things. So what does it look like for you guys, obviously running, you know, a million dollar business and having multiple crews go out? What is, I'm curious, what does the day-to-day -day look like for you? How did you structure that and how do you structure it and how do you, you know, eliminate that time? Cause there's always work to be done. I'm sure, you know, mm -hmm. there's always, you can always make up something to do, or there's always something that could be done. How do you, what are your roles as, as the owner of like a million dollar company and like, what was the, what was the process for you to go from being in, in the field, working on the, on the lawns kind of guy, what did the, what the systems, how did that, those have to evolve to get you to where you are today? So kind of a double-edged question, like, what do you do and, and how did you get to that point? Got it. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the beginning. 
So answering in reverse. I'm actually pretty fortunate in that I didn't start as like the main guy or like, I think a lot of people get into entrepreneurship. It's uh, the E-Myth has the idea of the entrepreneurial seizure. So maybe you're working one day as a plumber and you're like, you know, damn it, Larry, I can go do this myself. So you start, you know, Mike's plumbing. Mm-hmm. I was in school um, as early as like my second year, my first full year in business. So mm-hmm. I had to hire early. I brought uh, first my grandma on in the office. Then I had two guys in the field. So I would literally be in class or doing like, you know, college kid stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had this like little business running on the side. So I think I got pretty used to having that sort of thing in the background, but it wasn't my main thing. Like, sure, it took maybe more time than school, but I still also had school, which was, you know, arguably when you're 19, that's probably more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had always, or I have always been comfortable with that. And then I finished school and I got a job. So it's, I had the job and that was full time, but I also had the business and that was like less full time. Um, so I had, by the time I, I went full time into the business, I had like four or five years of practice of not being involved with everything. And certainly once I pivoted to full time, I got to use that new opened up bandwidth to really focus on growing the business. And we've doubled or more since then. So it was certainly the right decision and, and paid off. But um, it's not like I was ever really deep into the trenches and I had to dig myself out. Mm. It was almost a flip. Like I was really never the guy who had to go deliver the mowed lawn. I was never the guy who had to like send the estimate out or um, you know do the deliverable. So even when we were super tiny, I was almost kind of already in the shareholder mindset. Mm. And the, the first year I definitely mowed lawns. And even to this day, I send our go out in the field estimates. So I do some of that stuff, but it was never 40 hours a week of that. Mm. Um, the, the busiest I got was probably a, a year or two ago in the spring and every spring until I hire an estimator, it's going to be that way. We have all these mulch quotes that come in. We have all these, you know, installation quotes that come in. So either we need to hire an estimator or get rid of that, or I'm forever going to be way busier than I want to be in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction we're currently leaning is to just cut most of our installation services, which would you know cut that demand. But in doing so, we'd lose a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Yeah. And that goes into why we're trying to build FERT because FERT is a lot easier to sell mm-hmm. over the phone. There's no estimate cost, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so what my day looks like now, I've been super fortunate this year. My team has been like, on the admin side has been absolutely great. Um, I've had a bookkeeper internally for two years. We just let her go for some reasons, but we have an external bookkeeper. I have a CSR that takes care of 100% of um, all incoming sales, all that kind of stuff. Any issues get escalated to my operation manager who takes care of 100% of those. The, the most I hear about is him complaining about a client who we should probably fire. Uh, so my day is mainly infield sales, which I alluded to, we're probably going to get rid of. Um, and then, you know, the whatever else I really like to backfill it with. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of like time blocking and actually going into your calendar and saying between, you know, one and three o'clock and working on, you know, this next quarter's project or whatever sort of thing you're looking at that moves the company forward. So really putting in those times to work on the business as opposed to getting sucked into those like, oh, I got to clean up QuickBooks. I got to revise this estimate or whatever stuff mm-hmm. that sucks a lot of business owners back in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So yeah, no, and it's a similar thing too. And I'm curious if you guys have a more advanced way of doing it. Cause this year, like I said, I, um, when, when I was explaining to you a little bit more about my story, like 
I was overseas. They started their spring. They did all their thing. I came back for six weeks, fixed what I could, left for mm -hmm. two months, and then came back. And so it mostly does its own thing, very similar to how you were doing it. Like if I had to, if I was going to college or something like that, I could just leave and the guys would mm -hmm. do the thing and it, it would be fine. What did it look like for you? Because um, I'm I'm just curious. I don't know if I can ask the question super pointedly. So hopefully you pick up on it. Um, it's like, what did it look like? Because I know what it looks like right now for me to not have to go out in the field one day a week and not do any of the estimates mm -hmm. and not do any of that stuff. Um, and I know that any issues that I have is just like, oh, we just need to hire a better guy to do that thing. But what did it, I'm just trying to think like, how did it look for that to scale? You know, like how did that, how did your team scale with that? And what other like systems and stuff did you have to put in place to take on scale? Because I'm just thinking of like how we do it now where, yeah, I could leave. But if we were doing a million dollars a year, there's no way that I could leave and just let those guys do their thing. It would just fall apart immediately. Even if I'm, even if they're doing the same thing, just three crews doing the same thing as this one crew is, I just don't see that being sustainable. Mm -hmm. So like, how did that, how did that work from going from one, one crew, you being out of the field to like three, four five crews, you still out of the field. And like, how did you do that? Build a team systems process to that kind of thing. Yeah. A couple, a couple answers to that question. First is, I've talked to a bunch of guys who probably have the same experience. There's something about that, like two to four crew zone that just sucks. You don't have enough money to really go out and hire a great, like operations person. There's probably not enough money to promote someone from the inside, because if that person's really good in the field, like you need to keep them in the field. So they're producing revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, my business was probably two or three years ago. That also lines up when we have those two to four crews. Like it depends, right? If you're more, installations that two thing if you're if you're more maintenance it's probably closer to four crews but something about that zone just sucks there's somehow too much work for any one person to handle but there's this dichotomy because there's not enough money for your little hire another person yeah. to help you handle some of that stuff right so i think having a really good sales like a, a good salesperson slash office admin is important during that time um who can handle you know 99 of calls over the phone who can handle most complaints right over the phone. So you're not getting those constant little things that are like dense in the armor. Like every time someone's like, Hey, the guys didn't do a good job or like there's this billing issue or change my scheduled day. I feel like as the owner, at least for me, that just is a huge energy suck. Like it takes you out of that forward thinking visionary role and puts you like down in the dirt. Like you're below the weeds. You're, you're ah, no one, they can't even do this shit right. Or we can't even send a bill on time. Or how do I switch this day over? It's this, all these little tiny acute stressors that at least for me seem to bother me a lot more than they bother someone I hire. I put a CSR in that role and they'll, they'll resend the invoice or they'll call the crew or whatever. It's just, just a job to them. Mm -hmm. But for me, it always like a big energy suck. So I think in, in that two to four crew zone, finding those things that pull your energy away and making sure someone else who's either better at that or just as good as you at that can handle it. That way it gives you the energy to take those things and go out and, and build the company to kind of get over that hump. Um, so how to scale the team is, is to make sure you have that person in place, that office person in place, um, and then to be documenting everything you do. I think it's way more important to document the office stuff than it is to document the field stuff. Mm. Um, the field stuff's important. At this point, we have videos and we have manuals for, I think it's fair to say every role or nearly every role. We might not have Mo team and Mo team lead, but effectively every role um but when you hire one of those field people they kind of know what to do especially their experience they might not know your way to do it but 
two, three hundred thousand, you're going to be close to them, or there's going to be an employee you trust close to them. So they'll be able to kind of figure it out. Yeah. But those office things are essential. And if you're at two, three, four, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, and you lose that key office person, even at a million, you lose that key office person, it's going to be way tougher than it needs to be. Right. Right. Um, so make sure those document, make sure those those important tasks are documented. That way, you can kind of download that onto another person, and then revise those systems as you scale. Right. Okay. Gotcha. No, that that does make sense. So for you guys, what has been? I know you did it over you know a longer period of time, and some guys are like explosive growth all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like it was like a steady build up for you guys. But what what did you find? I know you said in the beginning, you did all the marketing things that didn't work. What have you mm-hmm. done in the past? What does your sales process look like? What does the marketing look like for your business to continue to grow? I see you're going more fertilization right now. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're marketing. What does that look like for you guys? What What are you guys doing? What are you putting out there? What kind of ads are you running? And then what does the sales process look like from there? Yeah. Um, what's worked is, is always the classics. I mean, I think, I think the most important thing is the copy, not the medium. Um, oh my God, my phone is blowing up and I apologize. I have plumbers and contractors and everyone you can imagine over the new place. Um, but I think I, I take the kind of Dan Kennedy approach, your offer and your content and your copy and how your marketing looks and what you're willing to give away is a lot more important than the medium you use, right? There's always a cool new way to advertise. Mm-hmm. Maybe a study comes out tomorrow that, you know, 35% of boomers are on uh, TikTok. So we should all be running TikTok ads. You know, that's fine. But if your TikTok ad sucks, no one's going to click on it. Yeah. So making sure that copy looks unique, um, has a compelling offer, has a reason to buy, has urgency, has scarcity. I think there's a list, the top 10 commandments of uh, direct response marketing. There used to be a whiteboard where that bookshelf is that had that on there. The whiteboard is currently sitting in a pod in my driveway to be moved. But um, what I've personally used is I've had okay success with every door direct mail. Mm-hmm. It ends up being expensive. But if you send out 100,000 of them or 10,000 of them or 3,000 of them, you have a pretty good idea of how many phone calls you're going to get from that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I like the kind of linear function that, that is. Sure. Yeah. Um, We've had some that worked really, really well and had super low client acquisition costs. And we had some that had abysmal client acquisition costs with similar copy. Mm-hmm. It can be up to the weather. It can be up to how the person delivered it, whether they threw them away or they put three in, in every mailbox until they ran out. So it's a little bit variable, but it's a risk I'm willing to take because I know on average, I'll get about this many clients at about this much cost. Um, I think once you have the budget for it, you should pretty much always be running Google AdWords they're pretty cheap, hook a credit card up to it, pay it off every month. Um, and then just experiment, see what works in your market. Um, look at getting partnered with a marketing company uh, and see what unique things you can do to drive a business in your own way. Some people love to go that like local brand route where they sponsor the little leagues game and they go on the, you know, the, all the bus stops or they go to all the local events. That's not really my vibe. Um, so I haven't gone that route, but I know guys who have in other industries locally have a bunch of success from it. Um, so I think it's fine what works for you in your market, but make sure you have a great offer, great copy, and then you're delivering on that service. Mm. Yeah. And what does that look like when, when somebody calls in, do you guys have a specific process? Do you have like, I'm assuming you guys have some sort of basic script that people follow, but do you have like a process, mm-hmm. like a sequence, like a follow-up sequence that you guys do that's yep. worked really well for you? Yep. 
yeah so there's the um there's the the call script we go through we get all the basic information put them on the, the system mm-hmm. measure them up most of our calls at this point are for turf footed services so we can measure it based off google maps yep. we're not using anything fancy we're literally just using google maps um i know there's other solutions that use ai or the solutions that uh, sync up with service autopilot but google maps is zero cost so i love it we send the estimate out and then we're using the simple growth 20 days to close i think it's something like seven to ten follow-ups in the first 20 days hmm. um, number of calls number of texts number of emails um, what i like to hear is hey leave me alone i don't want to buy at that point i've known i know we did a really good job following up yeah but yeah. the goal is to always close people on that first phone call if we're getting to that follow-up point it's gone a little bit too far we're not selling cars we're not selling houses we're not selling mortgages things that are going to cost people you know tens of thousands of dollars a hundred thousand dollars by the time it's done we're selling a you know fifty to a hundred dollars service. Might yeah. be a thousand bucks in a year, but most homeowners aren't thinking about it like that. I think mean, this is you know something cheap to get off my to do list and I'm done. Um, if if our value proposition, our value stack doesn't line up with their budget from the get go, we're probably not going to get them on that third or fourth phone call. Yeah, yeah. And and what does that look like for you? I know you're saying that that how important copy is, and I'd have to agree because I've seen guys do. Um, we had door hangers do great in the middle of the summer. Like I was just like, mm-hmm. I just want to see which designs are working the best and they destroy. And it was all had to do with design. Cause I had some guys who were like, Oh, I, I did a thousand that we got no phone calls. And then we did ours. And I took like days to make these things and split test them and all this again. Mm-hmm. And, again. and it was just crazy. Like we were just booked for months. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what would you guys suggest? Now I'm asking you to give away the secret sauce, but what would you suggest for, when it comes to making your offer stand out, because we're essentially providing the same exact service as someone yep. else. We're a little bit better, yep. maybe we're whatever, but how do sure. you differentiate yourself in your offer, in your copy, that kind of stuff? Um, I think a great way to explain this is, do you ever see the truck? You usually see them on trucks. Maybe you'll see them on like a newspaper ad or a postcard in your, your mailbox, but it just says like free estimates. Yeah. So it's like, tell the story, right? Everybody gives free estimates. Like I see it like plumbers will have it or carpenters will have it. Like, Maybe that guy's been a carpenter for like 15 years and like has really good service and like he serviced, you know, every house in this area and he, uh, his dad was a carpenter and like what he really likes to do is high-end kitchen remodels or, or whatever the story is. So tell that story and tell that in your marketing as opposed to putting free estimates. Um, the more creative you can get, the more out of the box you can get, the better. And I'd say that the tactics of that, if you want like a, a hard and fast to do from this is... Google the 10 commandments of direct response marketing. I don't want fan. Uh, that might be one of the sins, um, but make sure every single piece of marketing, every dollar of marketing you spend adheres to that. Um, we're, we're all too little and we, none of us have enough money uh, to be doing, you know, big style branding. We need to make sure our dollars, I think Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank says, I want my dollars to leave and come back with friends. Mm. And, that's the whole stick with direct response marketing, making sure those marketing dollars uh, bring in more than they cost and can do that. Once you do that, you have a box you can put dollars into and get more dollars out of. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's uh no, that's good. That's um, I definitely wasn't thinking because we do the same thing. Ah, oh, free estimates, whatever, you know, yeah. and yeah. everything else looks great. Here's what we service. Here's why it's unique. Here's our value proposition, whatever. Um, we just try to make it super easy for them, but we, 
that's definitely a big thing. And uh, no, <laughs> I'll definitely have to, uh, I'll definitely have to, to rethink. Yeah. That. There's, there's nothing wrong with having that in the stack, but sure. I see it all the time. It, it'll be a, like, you know, J and M plumbing or whatever. And there's nothing except free estimates. Like there's more of a story there. Like who is J and M? Like, tell me why I should hire you. Like, get, tell me what that's about. Don't just say like free estimates. Yeah. Um, so I always think when I make something, make sure it's the opposite of free estimates. That's like my <laughs> mental cue. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll uh, I'll get your uh, free advice for for me and in, in my business, and I'll kind of explain our situation. I, I said some, I mentioned some things briefly. <clears throat> so right now we're one crew, you know, twenty twenty five thousand dollars a month. So nothing crazy, obviously. Um, and this winter we're going to two trucks, and it looks like we're pretty on track to hit that. It's going to be tough, um, but we're gonna we're gonna hit that pretty well. We're gonna hit our numbers over the winter. Um, and then the goal is to add on another two trucks for maintenance. So a total of four trucks. So actually jumping from green season, one truck to green season, four trucks. Um, and I just want to get your take on, on, um, how you would go about doing that, what your process would be, what would be your priorities in what order would you do things? I know you said like office assistant, would you be like, Hey, office assistant is the first person that I'm going to hire. I'm going to show them all the stuff. Here's the processes have them go to town, get the marketing started, hire someone, hire the field guys from there. Like what would be, how would you go about doing that if you were in my position? And yeah. Yeah. Do you have help in the office right now? Or is it just you? I do. Yeah. You do have help. Yes. Yeah, so one of the guys who, who does the mowing is in charge of um, keeping track of the phone estimates, that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty rough to be honest with you. So I, yeah. I do need to just, like the best, I think the best thing for that position is to just let him go and then get like a, a real office person. But I do have someone who can take that off my plate temporarily. It's just not, it might not be up to my standard, but. Yeah, I, that that's where I'd focus my energy first. Like if you know, like, hey, for certain, I'm gonna have full or four fully fleshed out crews. Mm-hmm. Like first off, that's a huge jump. Um, But if you, if you know, like that's absolutely gonna happen, I would make sure the number one priority is uh, having that office person who's dialed in like are you doing all your own bookkeeping or do you have that outsourced right now we do our own all our own stuff yep okay yeah i would i would make sure that person's dialed in at least on how to deal with clients how to deal with complaints and how to sell um those i guess those are really two things but those two are th- and by how to deal with clients i mean like the service things like change my service date or add this other thing or yeah. schedule so the basic like administrative service stuff, the complaint issues, and then um, sales. basic sales. Yeah. Those are the, the most key three things I think at that point. And that person, I'm keeping in mind, that person doesn't need to work for you forever. So mm-hmm. they might not be a bookkeeper. They might not be a great salesperson. They might not be an operations person. But you're asking them to dip a toe in all three things. So this is kind of a jack of all trades person. So if they're not the perfect fit in five years, that's okay, right? as long as they can kind of fill this gap for the next few years for you next year or whatever that, that short term looks like. Um, because four crews, you absolutely need help in the office. Oh yeah. And if you have four full running crews, I'd start thinking about who in my current pool of guys could be an operations person mm-hmm. because four crews is a pretty miserable point from the operations side. Um, usually you might have like one or two all-stars and the rest are just kind of like there, their heartbeats. Yeah. Um, so getting some basic management on the field side of, Hey, everyone comes in in the morning 
And if I'm not here, they report to John because John knows where the keys go at night. And John knows how to fill the trucks up. And John has a credit card and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, John's not really an operations manager yet. He's not scheduling any work or dealing with any complaints, but he's like the babysitter. Um, those are the two big things I'd be thinking about. But then I'd also ask myself, do I need to have four crews? Like, it, am I certain? Because the worst thing you can do is go buy a bunch of equipment, go find a bunch of equipment, whatever sort of route you go. Mm-hmm. And then it sits around as an ego purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of guys who have way more stuff than they need because it looks cool and they can tell their friends they have a, you know, Case New Holland, whatever, ABC digger. Yeah. Um, I did kind of the opposite thing and I overhired people. So instead of buying, I had a couple trucks around. So I just hired way more people. I had every crew at two people where it should have really been at one person. So that way I had a company of, you know, 10 or 12 people, but really it should have been a business of like six. Mm-hmm. So I would keep both those things in check. Do I, do I actually need this person? Do I actually need this yeah, yeah. equipment or do I want it to like make the whole thing look bigger? Right. Because that doesn't matter, right? You don't take that to the bank. No. You don't say, no. Hey, can I have a line of credit? I have seven employees. I can have a lot of credit. I made a hundred thousand dollars in profit last year. Right. So a good orientating thing is, does this take, uh, does this help the bottom line? Yes or no. Yeah. But to get to that point, definitely need office and definitely need to have someone at least that you're thinking about. Can this person take some of the, the, the crew stuff off my plate? You're still going to be talking to the most upset clients. You'll still be dealing with the broken equipment and stuff. But hey, can they call this guy when they have a basic question about how does this lawn get mowed? Can they call this guy if they're you know running five or 10 minutes late? Can these little things that add up be given to someone on the field side? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, and I didn't just throw out the four trucks number because uh, I, I just felt like having four trucks. Trust me, if I could do if I could do for sure. everything with one truck, I'd trust me, I'd have the the wonder truck. I'd pay a hundred thousand for that truck. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But no, it was specifically because I was challenged to, uh, and I was having a conversation with someone. I was like, yeah, we're going to do like 250. And we've always, every single year, we've like, we basically tripled for the past couple of sure. years um, from like, this is the second year that we've, that we've tripled in a row. And um, I was like, yeah, we'll probably do like maybe two X, two and a half X. And they were like, well, why can't you just triple it this year? And so that's what we're shooting for. That's why I threw yeah, that for sure. out there. And I know what my market can take per truck, per truck. I know generally how many employees it's going to take. I have like enough bigger picture numbers that I can put in a PNL and say, well, let's work backwards. What does it actually take to get there? So that was, that was kind of my reasoning behind that. Um, what would you be doing on, obviously, like uh, you said, like, you guys did um, direct mail. It's mostly in the copy, but what would that look like for you to to bring on that many clients? Because I'm even thinking, and I'm like, if even if it's me and an office person, both of us on the phone, like 12 hours a day, there's it would be extremely difficult to get in that many clients in the door in a in a you know a time window of three to four months. Have you guys yeah. had that problem before? And if so, like, what did you guys do with that? Like, how do you deal with the spring rush and stuff like that? Yeah, it's. I think to go back a step, um, and maybe you seem super bright, you probably looked at this, but take your current customer acquisition costs now. Mm-hmm. Um, take your current client value now and say, hey, if I'm at X right now and you go 3X, how many clients does that actually mean, right? If, if I'm at, let's just use really easy numbers, 100,000, 
every client's worth a thousand, that's a hundred clients. And so I need 300 more of those. If it costs me, you know, a hundred dollars to buy a client, that's what 30,000. So work back into that marketing and figure out what that's actually going to look like in dollars and cents and make sure that money is, or part of that money at least is in the bank and ready to be deployed. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying uh, there's two good friends in this world, ready money and an old dog or something. So (laughs) make sure you have that ready money to go deploy that marketing. Yeah. But then from the, the logistics side, answering those phone calls, I think that'll help you answer that question. Hey, can we, can we answer, you know, if, if I close at 50%, can I answer 1500 phone calls over the course of these few months? Mm-hmm. Um, and just using basic arithmetic to work back into that and see if it's possible. Yeah. If it's not, but you, you're set on this and you have the money for it and it's all going to work, um, an answering service might be your, your best friend. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's debate on whether you should have an answering service do your selling. Um, I never have, so I can't speak to the pro side of it, like why you'd want them to. Um, I I think it's good to be able to have that in-house and be able to sell your product in only the way that people you've personally trained or people in your company, your culture can. Um, but I think as a, as a stopgap, that might be a, a, good, a good place to look. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I do appreciate that as well. And uh, just to kind of to wrap it up, because I know you're you're moving, you got all this crazy stuff going on. People calling you like crazy. Just yes, wrap it up with this, wanna wanna hear a little bit more about where how your company plans to grow in the future. I know you gave me a little bit about some of your goals that you had for this year. Um, what what is the the future going to look like for your company? And then um, yeah, just some just want to hear what that's going to look like and how how you plan on on pulling that off. I know you said that you're uh, in uh, Mike Callahan, the mutual friends. Mm-hmm mastermind and yep. i'm sure he's, he has a lot of uh good words of wisdom for you so so what's the goal and, and how are you going to get there what's the game plan yeah so we're really looking to grow our, our, our fertilization division um if i didn't add another residential mail client or lose one for the next like two three four years i'd probably be okay with that mm. um I, we have one fert crew right now i want to bring it up to three and then have a fert manager for that whole book of business um, we currently have one residential or uh, one ma- commercial maintenance. I would like to do the same thing with that. And then we have one manager for each of those divisions. So three FERT crews, one manager, three residential mo, one manager, three commercial mo, one manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and that commercial mo manager would probably be a, sort of a salesperson as well. Yeah. And we'd pretty much be completely out of landscaping. The only landscape we might do are like shrub trimming packages and cleanup packages. Mm-hmm. And that landscape person could probably be their own department manager and also do the selling for that kind of stuff. Um, that would get us somewhere in the two to three million ballpark, depending on what snow looks like. Mm. I hear two million. Well, I hear one to two million is the four hundred thousand of a million, right? So it's the same, like too much work with not enough management money around. Um, so I'm not sure how that would pan out with that model, but uh, I think with the department managers, um, who could kind of float in between, in, you know, part time field, part time managing. I think that might be a good stopgap for that kind of uh, crappy middle ground. Yeah, yeah. And then and is that like fertilizers? The, go ahead. And is that like a two to three year play? You said. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably th- more like three to four. Um, okay. We really got to figure out how to sell fert better. We got to figure out how to sell commercial better. Mm. Um, which are the two things we're trying to grow. So then the question would be: Well, I have to sell residential as much as we're good at selling residential. Um, it's the hardest to keep staffed. Yeah. Um, it's, it, we've, we've turned over as a, as a crew two or three times this year. Um, 
it's we we pay very competitively for it. We're up thirty on P for P can be up, you know, north of thirty an hour. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a staffing thing for us at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that cuts into your margin too. If uh, I know P for P will will definitely help the margin, but for us it's like if I'm paying thirty someone thirty dollars an hour, that's gonna cut margin really, really hard. And definitely. for residential people who don't want to pay for it, it's really hard to deal with. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Any, for any for final it's things? probably the best in, in that ballpark. For guys, you can pay highly. The job's more enjoyable. Yeah. So that's really what I'm trying to grow first. Great margins. It's actually a decent job you can give to people. Um, so that's that's where we're putting a lot of effort at right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. No, I've never even I never I've never even really looked at it a lot. I'm sure we probably will because we have we have people asking, we're like, I don't even know who to send you to, to be honest. Yeah. With you. Yeah. So I think that's a hole in the market for sure. So um yeah, just big thank you for for coming on. Any any kind of final parting words for the guys who are out there who I think I think the majority of the guys who tune in are kind of like probably like twenties, like early twenties to, to early thirties. And they're like probably at like a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Yeah, man. They're trying to, they're trying to take off and maybe their goal is to hit a million or whatever it is. What, what would you leave them with? What are some of the important things that you've learned from, you know, taking that journey yourself? Yeah. I'd say first it's supposed to suck. Like if you're not having a good time, you're probably doing it right. Yeah. Um, I think that's true for scaling anything. I'm, I'm, you know, I've never been in the Silicon Valley world, but uh, you know, those people are doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not supposed to be easy. Um, so keep your head up. I think one of the biggest missteps by all contractors, not just guys in the green space, are not knowing your numbers. If that's intimidating to you, you're smart enough, you're intelligent enough, you own a business, like, go get some schooling on that. Whether it's a mastermind group, whether it's traditional college, whether it's online courses, learn your finances. Be comfortable with your PL. Be comfortable enough that you can pick up anyone's PL, anyone's balance sheet, and be able to run some super basic uh, analysis on that. I think if you have that level of competence, like you're more than qualified for you know, running a small business. Yeah. So just keep the nose to the grindstone, man, and, and hit the education. Get in mastermind groups, watch content like this, read books, learn, upgrade yourself, and build your team. Yeah. Cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for uh, for coming thank on. Thank you. And uh, best of luck with the uh, the move, the new house, and the business taking off in the next couple of years. We'll definitely definitely be staying in touch, and, and I'll probably see you around at, at one of the masterminds one of these days. Absolutely, man. Good to meet you as well, Caleb. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike.